take your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew chapter 21. We're going to look at a passage there you've heard many, many times, and if we're starting and beginning again, um, I hope you've been focused on Jesus this week, because I promise you, Jesus has been focused on you, amen? He loves us, and he's got his eye upon us. If he's got his eye upon the sparrow, I can promise you, he's got his eye upon his children. So we want to praise the Lord for that. As we're getting started, um, last week we started looking at essential activities in the house of God. The three indispensable activities that are going to be in every house of God, we looked at last week, and we've seen that Paul, writing to Timothy, instructed him on how to conduct yourself in the church, not only personally and our morals and our beliefs and our theology, but as we come together, how do you conduct yourself in the house of God, and he said, the house of God, which is the church of the living God. So we are the house of God in this dispensation of time in God's plan for his people here on earth. And so as we looked at that, I asked you a question, which activities should we conduct in the house of God? When we come into God's house, basically, what are we to be doing? What are some things? And so I came up with three things that I think are essential activities that are going to be in everything. They're not the only thing, but certainly they are things that are going to be in a true house of God. And last week we looked at the true house of God will be a place of praise. And I don't know about y'all, but when we took a moment to take scripture and look at the emphasis and how much God emphasizes that his people praise him, I don't know, it overwhelmed me. How about you? But guys, if you think the Bible emphasizes praising God, and we don't do it like we should. Have you looked lately at how much the Bible emphasizes praying to God? Prayer. And if there's any place on the earth where prayer ought to be a continuous, habitual, regular, it's just a part of everyday life, is in the church, the house of the living God. And so today we're going to look at that. God's house is a place of prayer. And when I say that, I don't mean that we just pray when we think we need something. I mean, it should be a practice, a habitual part of our life. And so as you turn with me there, if you look, I want to take a passage of Scripture where I didn't say this, the Baptist didn't say it, Jesus himself said that it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. If you look at that verse, that comes from Mark's Gospel. But all three of the synoptic gospels record this event, and all three of them record them in the same thing. Jesus has entered in to Jerusalem on the day when he was received in his triumphal entry as the Messiah, as the King of Kings, and he's being praised, and the multitude is all excited. Jerusalem is overrun with thousands of people. He goes into the temple. They're praising him, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They recognize him as Messiah. He comes in and he does the last thing you would think would happen. He begins to turn tables over. He begins to disrupt their religion. And what does he tell them? My house should be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a place of merchandise or into a den of thieves. I promise you when God looks down here, he's not looking for us to operate in a way where it looks successful. No matter how successful, no matter how much we've got going on, if we're not a people of prayer, Jesus is not only disappointed. If we read this, you're going to say, Jesus was mad. (laughs) 
He wasn't happy about it. And as you look with me here, we're going to read it together right quick. And we're going to start reading in Matthew chapter 21. If you look with me here in verse 9, it says, Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God. He drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. You know, we look at that today and we see that. And we see how to the casual observer, to the religious person, that looked like a very spiritual and a very fruitful thing. I mean, that was during the Passover. Every Passover, the Jewish tradition was that they came to Jerusalem, they came to the temple, and they gave a sacrifice. And everyone did it for God. And they did it to glorify God. And the people that were in charge of it were the religious leaders of that day, primarily the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they were the ones watching the temple, the priest. And as they get there, Jesus comes in, their king, God in the flesh. And everyone else is thinking, it's wonderful. I mean, we got a packed city full of people. They're giving their money to God. They're buying the sacrifice. They're bringing it to the temple. They're sacrificing it to God. I mean, it looks like everything going on in the church is wonderful. Except there's one thing missing. And Jesus said that that one thing missing was prayer. It don't matter what we do here. It don't matter how many people we get to come here. It don't matter how much money we collect here and how much activities we have going on here if we are not a people of prayer. God said, my house won't just be a place of merchandise where you buy and sell and you build and do in my name. My place must be a house of prayer. And friends, you know why that's so important? Because I want you to understand something. The house of prayer is the place where God will dwell and it is only at the house of prayer where he will establish his kingdom. People who aren't even know him well enough and don't even depend on him enough to pray regularly are not people he can use. If you are not a person who prays, you are a person who is self-dependent. If you are not a person who depends and asks and seeks God on a regular basis, you are a person who thinks you can make it on life on your own. And guys, we can't build God's church on our own. We can't advance the kingdom on our own. So it's imperative that we're connected to God in prayer. And the house of prayer is the place where God dwells. It's where he establishes his kingdom. Friends, listen, a prayerless home is an empty home when it comes to the presence of God. A home where God is praised and where we talked about last week and where he's prayed to. When you grow up in a home where they people pray in the morning, you pray over your meal, you pray with your kids at night, and you pray for what you need from God on a day-to-day -day basis, and you pray just because you want to hang out with him. That's a place where God's going to be, and that's a place where God's will is going to be accomplished. 
Prayerless people are powerless people. And so we need to understand today the church has all the silver and gold. We can buy a lot of things, but what we don't have is the power of Jesus. Would you agree with me? Because the power of Jesus doesn't come from what we can do and what we can produce. It comes from what only God can do. I want you to look at this with me, a couple of things. The kingdom, I'll get it there in a minute. The kingdom of God can only be advanced when the church prays. With God about everything, and we live a life of dependence on him. Guys, when we make decisions, ministry decisions, decisions that involve the direction of God's house, and we haven't even prayed, do you realize the danger of that? Do you realize the pridefulness of that? We're saying, God, we can run your house without you. We don't need to come talk to you. We don't need to pray. Any position you have in a ministry position, and even as a parent, whatever we do, if you're not praying to God and seeking God, he's not going to advance his kingdom through your life. And guys, look at this next one. We must receive our plans and our strategies needed to fulfill our purpose on earth through a life of prayer. I don't know about y'all, but God has shown me many, many things because I took time to sit down in the morning and pray. He's also blessed me with many things that I wouldn't have got, I believe, if I had not prayed. Let me give you an instance as being a pastor. I've been praying, and I was praying about a specific thing. I was praying about the children's church. And there's many things that I have prayed for here that God has blessed us. Jonathan is an answer to prayer. Jonathan is an answer to seeking God to bring us a man of God who is a heart of God who can bring us into worship. But guys, listen, with the children's church, I just want to share with you this. I was praying specifically that, Lord, we need to recreate big church in children's church. And we need to have church just like we have in there. But, Lord, we got to have a leader that has the vision to understand that children's church is not just sitting in there and having juice and getting through an hour till the preacher gets through. Children's church is a time when children have church. That's why you would call it children's church. And I'd been praying for quite a long time. I was thankful for what we had going, but I knew that there was a need to improve it. And you know what? One day after, I mean, a long time of praying, and what I had God had birthed into my heart, Miss Linda Lawless walks up to me and hands me a letter after church. And she said, Pastor, I want you to go read this letter and I want you to pray with God till you hear from God and then come back and tell me what it says. I went home, I read the letter before I got halfway through it, I was tearing up. It was almost verbatim what I'd been telling her and what we'd been praying for. Her vision was almost exactly the vision that God had put on my heart. And as I prayed that through and seeked out God, he spoke to Miss Linda and as she prayed. And then the amazing thing, I said, Miss Linda, I'm with you, sister. We went ahead, we met in my office, we talked to her. I said, but the problem is we're never going to get enough people. We barely can keep nursery going. How are we going to do this? She says, Pastor, don't worry. If God's in it, he'll provide, and I don't want you to even worry about it. I will recruit and find my own people. As I sit here this morning, I look at Linda and Jill, I mean, Elena and Jill, and um, I don't see Rhonda yet. She's been coming on the morning service. But you know what? People that we hadn't even had coming yet, Miss Jill and Elena's up there, and I'm thinking, man, 
I wonder who she's going to get. And when she come told me who they were, I'm like, they're willing to do that? And you know what? We Have you been in there lately? I didn't even think. It's like we he can do more and above what we can even think to ask. They not only had a vision of how to do the church, but they had a vision of totally building a place that would be kid-friendly. Now, if you go over there, it looks like a castle. It's called the kid, the kid's kingdom. Is that what y'all call it? Kingdom kids. Okay, I had it backwards. Y'all know me. I'm afflicted. But anyway, listen, guys. Do you know the importance of praying? What does your family need? What is it that only God can do? And so I want to ask you this morning, what are you praying for that only God can do. What is it that you're asking God to do in your life, in your ministry, and in this church that none of us can do it unless God does it? Because that's what praying is. I want you to think about this. God does not desire for us to make prayer something that we just add on to our ministry. Well, we, we, we here to have music this morning. Let's pray first. Well, we fixing to take up an offering. Let's pray. Well, we get in Sunday school. Let's pray before class. Listen what God wants us to do, guys. It's radical. God desires for every ministry in the church to be saturated in the prayers of his people. If the only time you pray for your ministry and your position in the church is on Sunday, your prayer ministry is not where it needs to be. You see, we should be praying every day for God to show us what to do, how to do it, and see, seeking him through prayer. Think about this. Corporate prayer among the church is the way God has chosen to bring about his plans and purposes on the earth. Everywhere you look in the Bible, where God is working and who he's working through is a praying person. Moses, David, the people that God uses in the Bible, all were people who prayed. Even Jesus was a praying person. His life was consumed with time spent alone, isolated, alone in the presence of his father. If the son of God, who was God in the flesh, needed to spend time in prayer with the father, certainly me and you need to spend time with the father. When you look at the greatness of the apostles in the early church, the primary description that you look at, the thing that you see that comes out of my study when I look at them is that they were all men and women of prayer. If there's one thing lacking in the church, it's praise. We seen last week it can improve. But if there's something that needs a vast amount of improvement, it's prayer where we're all praying together because we're never going to be in unity. We're never going to be in one accord and of one mind unless we're all spending time with God in prayer and his spirit is having time to work into our hearts. Now, this morning, I want to take the time to just preach this out with you a little while. We're going to hang out here. Why is corporate prayer, church prayer, important? Why is it important? Well, the passage we just looked at shows you, I don't want to make Jesus mad, amen? (laughs) When Jesus comes to church, I want him to be blessed because we praise him, because we've been praying to him, because we believe in him and we depend on him, because we praise him, because we know who he is and we know what he can do. And we've been spending time with him because we know we need him because of who he is and what he can do. And then when we get here, it's just an an, an overflow of time spent with him praying. So we need to be praying all the time. We need to be praying every day. I hope some of you was praying on the way here. Lord, help Brother Marvin. No, he knows he needs it. Anoint him. Give him power. Give him a word all week. Pray, 
Pray for us. Pray for one another. Pray for the church leaders. Pray for the... But listen, the main reason we need to do it is because God commands it. God told us to pray. You know, if you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy, Paul's writing to a young pastor, Timothy, and he's writing in the infancy of the church. The church hasn't been established. It doesn't have 2,000 years of tradition to contend with. It doesn't have any type of model to look to. And the model is the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. And Paul's writing to Timothy, like I said, if I delay, I write so that you may know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, the church. And here he tells them, if you look with me in chapter 2, verse 1, look what Paul says. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, and look at what he says, I exhort, I encourage you, first of all, before anything else, the first thing I'm telling you, Timothy, you need to get them doing at church, is that they need to come with supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. We're concerned with America. You support Trump. Maybe you give to his political cause. I don't know if you do, or what, but the greatest thing you'll ever do for any government leader is pray for him. I, you might vote for him. Praise God, we're in a place where we get to. But I want to tell you something, my friend. Nothing will make him honor God and bless us more than when people who are connected to God pray for them. Because listen to what he says. He says, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, that's for presidents and governors and whatever kind of leadership you have in government, and all who are in authority. Guys, that means all. I don't know about y'all, but I prayed for Obama. I actually have to admit, I've been thinking about it. I might have prayed for Obama more than Trump. <laughs> you don't pray for him because you agree with him because you like him. You pray for him because we need God to direct their hearts. And friends, the Bible says if we do that, look at what it says. It says, for kings, pray for them. All who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And look what it says. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Friends, maybe the reason America is not seeing a life of peace and godliness is that maybe the church ain't praying like we could. Because I'm going to tell you something. The only thing that can fix things like riots and racism and uncontrollable madness like I see out there is God. There ain't a restraint can do it. The police at their best day cannot change a heart. Only thing that can change the mindset in the heart of the American people is the living God of heaven. And guys, the most important thing, the best thing we could ever do for them and for our country, and for the church, is to pray like we've never prayed before. Look at what else he says. He tells them to pray together, to pray in a way where everyone can tell you're praying. Look at what he says if you look down there. Look at verse 8. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, not just on Sunday, not just in Sunday school, pray everywhere. I don't know about y'all, but I went fishing with, with Shelby Thursday. 
Anytime you do anything with Shelby, that's a good time to pray. Amen? <laughs> but what blessed me, Shelby came to go fishing. He brought a Bible. I said, Shelby, we don't need a Bible. We're going fishing, brother. Well, I just brought it. We might need it. That's a good thought. So we going down the road, and we going and I said, man, I better pray. I said, Lord, thank you for letting us go fishing today. Lord, we bless your name. Thank you for giving us this chance, and Lord, let us catch some fish. We pull in, we get us a McGriddle at the McDonald's. We pray again. We get to the boat ramp. We get in the boat. Shelby comes. He had the Bible. I said, Shelby, okay, bring the Bible. He got to catching white perch. He never got the Bible out. <laughs> but you know what? As we were out there, numerous times I heard Shelby, thank you, Jesus, for letting me catch this fish. I was thanking the Lord. You know what, guys? I believe praying people are blessed people. And I believe the more you pray, the more you can see God do, because everything we get, everything we have, comes in and through God's mercies and grace to give it to us. Now, if it's important for a fishing trip, how important is it for a soul winning? It's pretty easy to catch a bass or a perch compared to a soul. So, guys, if we're going to win souls, we've got to become people who pray like that. Rifting up holy hands. Guys, I want you to think about it. God commanded it. One of the things you see is that Jesus taught it. When you look at um, Luke chapter 11, Jesus one day was praying, as was his habit, it says. And it says that his apostles were so overwhelmed at how he prayed, and you can turn there later and look at it, but Jesus was asked by them personally, teach us to pray. And not only did they say, teach us to pray how you're praying, but teach us to pray the way that John the Baptist and his disciples pray. So everyone that you see in the Bible were praying together. So Jesus looks at them and he teaches them how to pray. And he gives them one of the greatest prayers in the Bible, the Our Father. And he says, when you pray, pray this way. So Jesus taught corporate prayer. He taught church prayer. He gave us our prayer. He said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The first thing about prayer is according to Jesus and what he taught. The first thing he taught prayer does is it hallows, it glorifies, it reverences the awesomeness of our God. And then it prays for not our will, but his will, because his will is always better than our will. And he says, to our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every prayer should be motivated by the advancement and the establishment and the bringing forth the evidence of the kingdom of God in a way that honors his name. And that's what he prayed. And he, then he says, after praying that, then pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, as Baptists, some of us don't only pray, we praise over our daily bread. <laughs> and I'm not putting down on it. That's better than no prayer, amen? Huh, Brother Raymond? But you know what? You might be eating more than bread if you got to praying more. I'm just saying that our prayer life is important. And Jesus said also the importance of lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Friends, there's evil. There's temptation. And Jesus, when he taught prayer, included praying for you to ask God to help you with temptation and deliver you from evil. He also said, that we need to remember to forgive people. 
as we've forgiven by him. Friends, important, all this comes from praying. He says, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Friends, that's what Jesus taught. But guys, when you look at the Bible, Paul modeled prayer. Paul modeled prayer. Everywhere in every letter he wrote, Paul begins his introduction to that specific church, and he says, when I think of you in my prayers, repetitively, habitually, and consistently, the Apostle Paul reveals through his personal letters to the churches that became Holy Scripture that he prayed daily for those people, those churches that he planted. And guys, you know what? He not only prayed for them as the church, he prayed for a lot of those people individually. You know, we started back the prayer list on Wednesday night, and, you know, we're getting back, and we we got the prayer list going. Friends, I don't know about you, but I thank God for people who take time to take that prayer list and pray over those people, pray those names. I thank God for people who lift me up and lift this church up, because, listen, Paul modeled the need for us to pray for one another. He said we ought to pray unceasingly. Now, guys, does that mean you walk around all day saying, thou blessest us and speak all I and No, but what it means is as you go through life, you're in an attitude of prayer. As you're driving down the road, you're just communing with God. You're thinking to God. There is a time where you have specific prayer and you get in a prayer closet and you spend time with God. Our hearts should be so consumed with God that we're God conscious, meaning God is on our mind. We're focused on Jesus all the time to the point when we see a need, we pray. How many of you have ever passed an ambulance and God just put it on your heart? I don't know who's in there, Lord, but Lord, bless them. Help them. If they're not saved, Lord, please be merciful. Let them be, have another chance. God, touch them. Or you see a homeless man on the side of the road. I don't always give them money, but I tell you what I do most of the time. Lord, help that man. Lord, bless that man. Show him who you are, Lord, if he doesn't know you. See, that's what Paul's talking about. And guys, if there's anywhere where you see prayer practiced, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 1. This is primarily what we want to preach. It's in the early church. You know, everybody says, well, the book of Acts, the church of the book of Acts, that was a different time. That was in the infancy of the church. That's when God was establishing the church. That's why you see all these miracles. God doesn't do miracles like that anymore. <laughs> you know, I personally believe God isn't doing miracles today like we've seen doing miracles in the book of Acts. It's because we don't pray like that anymore. <laughs> we don't come together like that anymore. From the time you see the 120 disciples and the 12 or the 11 apostles gathered in the upper room waiting for the power to come from on high, which would come on the day of Pentecost and empower and birth the church onto the face of the earth that would be the house of the living God, you see that they were praying together in unity. If you look with me here, when you look in the book of Acts, we're going to kind of just run through it and we're going to get to an example I want to show you of the church and its praying. But if you look with me here, when you look at the book of Acts, look what it says in verse 12 of chapter 1. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olive. What was happening there? Jesus just ascended back to heaven after his resurrection. After they seen the resurrected Jesus ascend in a cloud and return to heaven, they go back to Jerusalem. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room, verse 13. It gives you a list of the apostles. Look at verse 14. These all, 
continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Guys, listen, they all continued with one accord in prayer. That's how the church was started. That's how the church is sustained. And that is how the church is always able to experience what God wants to do in the church. They prayed. On the day of Pentecost, when the time had fully come, God sent forth what he had promised. And the reason he sent it, they believed in it enough to wait on it enough to pray for it enough that God sent it. We know what happened. God sends the, the Holy Spirit. He gives Peter an opportunity to preach the word and preach he does. He shares the gospel for the first time that you see in the New Testament being preached. And how many souls got saved? Somebody needs to read the book of Acts. 3,000. Guess what? Look at what it says they did when they got saved. Look at verse 40 of chapter 2. Look at verse 40 of chapter 2. And with many words he testified and exhorted them. We're going to look at that next week because God's house is a house of preaching. I don't know what he preached, but I'm telling you one thing. I'd like to know, but I do know the reason this happened was because they'd been praying. I want you to look and see what it says. And with many other words, Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and about that day 3,000 souls were added to the church. Guys, one sermon, 3,000 people got saved. Now look at what they did. Immediately, they didn't have to go to Sunday school for 10 years. They didn't have to go to church 101. It says in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's their teachings, their beliefs, and their fellowship. In the breaking of bread, that was the communion meal and eating together and in prayers. They were praying together. And as you look, the church was consumed with the activity of prayer. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, that's 3 o'clock. Peter and John came out of a religious system that prayer was something you did every day. You think, boy, we have church twice on one day or we have church twice a week or however many. They had prayer every day. And at the ninth hour at 3 o'clock, you went to the temple at the hour of prayer and people prayed. So prayer wasn't strange to them, but I want you to see as you begin to look, they were praying people. When you look at chapter 4, look at verse 18. Look what it says about them. The whole church in verse 18 of chapter 4. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. And he says, for we cannot but speak the things which or of God. Now, friends, when you look at that and you think about that, it says, in being let go, in verse 23, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And listen to what the church did when they heard. So when they heard that they raised their voice to God with one accord and they said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them. When they heard that they were told not to preach, that they didn't want to hear about Jesus, they didn't whine, they didn't say, oh man, it's all them liberals, they got to praying. And you know what happened when they got to praying? Look at verse 31. 
And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. No one will speak the word of God with boldness unless someone's been praying for them. Paul himself said, pray for me that I may speak and utter the things of God as I should. And friends, listen, as they prayed for boldness, now multitudes of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Guys, listen, praying is an indispensable ingredient in revival and God's will being done in the church. We got to learn to pray. You say, well, how much did they pray? Well, they, they realized prayer was so important that as the church multiplied and grew, they got so many people, they were doing ministry. How many of you think ministering to people and helping them and being benevolent and meeting physical needs is important for the church? You know what I believe? If you bless them with their physical need, they'll open their hearts to you so that you can help them with their spiritual need. They don't care what you know till they know you care, the old saying says. And so, yes, you bless them. Well, guess what? The church grew so much that the 12 apostles, the elders, they, they weren't able to keep up with the, 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 the daily distribution of the meals for the widows to the point they began to argue and fight amongst the widows. <laughs> and so you know what they did? They called a meeting and they prayed and they said, we need men of prayer, men of the Holy Spirit, men of wisdom to take this up because listen what they said. Look at chapter 6. Look at verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and they said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve these tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And look at verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually, continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. The job of where we believe um, deacons came from was for them to relieve those physical needs so that the apostles, the elders, could focus on the spiritual needs. Guys, everything we need from God is dependent on how much we pray. Do y'all believe that? Praying to God. How many of you would agree when I'm praying more, I'm receiving more? Jesus said, you have not because I ask not. Guys, this is an unbelievable thing I want to show you. How many of you have ever prayed something and that when God answered it, you was just overwhelmed that he did it? <laughs> That's the greatest thing about prayer. You pray it, and, and you really pray it, but you're really just hoping God's going to do it. And in your mind, you have the, the intellect to know God can do it because he can do all things. All things are possible with God. And you're praying it, but even though you're praying it, deep down you're just hoping that he might do it. To the point when he does do it, you're astonished. That's what happened to the church. Look at chapter 12. I want us to just finish out with this example right quick. In this example, in the book of Acts, the church is being persecuted. Would y'all agree today that we seem to be coming into a time and a season in America where we're fixing to get persecuted more? There's more and more evidence that people are going to be resistant to the church and the things of God. Well, they were so resistant in this moment that Herod, the king, who they're supposed to be praying for and lifting up holy hands for, 
is arresting Christians and killing them, and he kills the first martyr, Stephen's, I mean, um, John, John's brother, James. And look at what it says in verse 1 of chapter 12. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. I don't know about you, but that'll get you praying. When we look around in America today, if what we see in is not increased our prayer life, what in the world is it going to have to come to to get us on our knees and bow down before God, not only alone, but together at this prayer altar? America's not going to change till the church changes. The church isn't going to change till we come back to this old-fashioned prayer altar and get on our face before God together and say, Lord, help us. Lord, do something. Look at what happens here. He's seen that by killing James, it won favor with the crowd. I don't know if you've noticed yet, but it seems that there is a crowd in America that when you oppose Jesus, when you make fun and make light of the things of God, it's favorable. And they placate that. Hollywood makes a living belittling God and his people and exalting the world and its chosen beliefs. But guys, listen to this in verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison. They put Peter in prison. You know what I'd be thinking? If they kill James, surely they're going to kill Peter because he got a bigger mouth than all of us. <laughs> Peter surely ain't going to deny the Lord again. After what happened last time, I believe Peter's going to take the sword. So what they do, they get to praying constantly for Peter. Now listen to here. Look at verse 5. I love this verse. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but, but constant prayer was offered to God from him by the church. Now listen, Peter's in prison, and if you look at the story, it's the weekend, which means it's the Passover, it's the, the, it's the sacrifice, the, it's the, um, the, the Lord's day, so they're not going to do anything until after that, and so they're praying. Herod's intent is soon as the Sabbath is over, we're going to take Peter and we're going to execute him. They got to pray, and if you look, though, God sent an angel into that jail. That angel went down into that jail, and as they were praying, it woke Peter up. You know the amazing thing to me? Peter's in jail. He knows he's facing execution, but he could sleep. You know why I think he could sleep? Because the church was praying for him. <laughs> and as he's sleeping, the angel wakes him up, and the angel has got him and he begins to show him his way out. I want you to look at verse 7. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by Peter, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side, and he raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. You know, today that's physical chains. He was chained, he was locked, and there was physical doors containing him in a prison. Guys, today, we got people that we've given up on a long time ago because we think there's chains that cannot be removed. But I got news for you. Jesus is a chain breaker. He's a way maker. And the reason we don't see chains being broke is we ain't praying like we should. You got a kid and he's addicted. Pray, 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 constantly pray. Don't quit praying. Pray, Jesus, set him free. You got a marriage and it's bound and it's got chains of the past that won't let you move forward, and you're divided, and you're miserable, pray, pray, pray. The best thing you ever do for a spouse that ain't right with God, I can tell you, ain't complain to them all the time. Pray for them all the time. And friends, listen, they got to praying, and the God of heaven sent an angel, and Peter's chains just dropped from him. Look at what else happened when he began to pray. Look at verse 8. 
Then the angel said, gird yourself, tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So when he went out and followed him and he did not know that what was done by the angel was real, that's what prayer does. When prayer begins to be answered, it don't even seem real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they passed the first and the second guard's post, they didn't see them. They came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them on its own accord. Guys, there ain't a door that Satan has closed that Jesus can't open. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. There ain't a chain that Satan has put on us that Jesus can't break. But guys, it's going to happen when we get to praying again. Can America see revival? Sure she can. When the church gets right and gets to praying again. And friends, listen to this. They're praying for Peter right now. They're all gathered in a house and a person's in the house. And, and Peter's outside. Their prayer's been answered. So look at what happens. It says in verse 10, when they passed the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them on its own accord. And he went out and he went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod. Now I want you to notice this and just think about this for a minute. Let me get my spot. And from all the expectation of the Jewish people, verse 12, so when Peter had considered this, he came to the house of Mary the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Friends, Peter knew where to go. I'm going to Mary's house. She's a believer. She's a member of the church. I believe Peter probably knew the church was there praying. It's in the middle of the night. Peter's sound asleep in prison. You know how long it takes you to fall asleep in jail sometimes? So Peter's done fell asleep. He's in the sleep. He's in the middle of the night. But you know why? Peter got roused by an angel because the church wasn't sleeping. The church was praying. They all over here praying. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Here they are. Brother Marvin's in jail. He's locked up. They're going to get him Monday. We got to pray. We ain't got but a couple days. They done already killed Brother Jonathan, all right? He's next. <laughs> they praying. Here they are in the middle of the night. I come knock on the door. Boom, 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 boom. Elena opens the door. It was Rhonda here. Rhoda. Rhoda opens the door. And I want you to look at this and I want you to catch it. And as Peter knocked, verse 13, at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Look at what they said. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Elena, you're crazy. <laughs> Brother Marvin can't be there. He's in jail. You need to go pray too. Don't you know they're going to kill him like they did Brother Jonathan? I'm just helping y'all get into the moment. You got to use your imagination and let God and stir up yourself. Look at what he says. He says, but they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now, Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, to think about prayer does, they were astonished. You know why the church is not astonished very often? When's the last time we had an all-night prayer meeting and prayed it through constantly for someone? 
You know, there's people I can look in here that's got prayer needs that really require that type of praying. But we don't do it. It's not that our God has changed. It's that the church has changed. You see, the church that I read on in the book of Acts is not the church that I see as I pastor in these days. It's not the same church. But the God that they prayed to is the same God. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He never changes. Guys, I want to encourage us that what we need to see at the end of services sometimes is a prayer meeting happen, that we're not ready to go home yet. We want to pray. You know what? When this altar begins to see people getting out of their pew and sitting here and saying, Lord, I mean business. I'm desperate. I need you. And we pray here and pray. You know, there was a time I hear about when the saints of God left tears on these places like this, when people were not ashamed to go get two or three people that was in trouble and say, we've come to pray for you and your family. We're not leaving until we pray together. And they got around each other and they prayed for one another. Guys, revival will never happen till prayer happens first. That is that type of prayer. How many of you have ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon is perhaps the greatest preacher of the modern era of preaching. And he wasn't of this time, but he preached in London. And he's called the Prince of Preachers. And he, he, every church they brought him to, his churches, he'd fill them up and they'd run out of room. So they built him what they called the Metropolitan Tabernacle, largest facility in London. And he filled it up to capacity every Sunday, sometimes multiple services. They was asked, he was asked by plenty of people, what is the secret of your great preaching ministry? He wrote, you can read, there's more writings on Sturgeon's theology and his sermons than anything. You know what he would do? He would take them down some old stairs down to the cellar in the basement. And back in those days, everyone heated with steam. And down in that basement was what he called the boiler room. He said, I'll show you the secret of our success. I'll show you where all our power comes from. It ain't in that pulpit. It ain't me. It's these people. Every Sunday, they said it was in excess of 100 people usually who didn't go to the service. They went down to the boiler room underneath the people in the service and prayed for the service and for the preacher. Spurgeon said, that's why there's power in my preaching. Our people pray. He called it the boiler room. Boy, we need a boiler room. Amen. We need people to pray. We got people. We struggle getting to go to nursery. We got people we need that would pray. How many would miss the service to pray? I'm not saying we're going to do that, so don't panic yet. But I am saying one thing. If there was people every Sunday that said, I feel more burdened to pray for the service, I'm going to pray. I guarantee you we'd see a difference in our services. So what I'm telling you guys is God commands prayer. Jesus taught prayer. Paul modeled the early church practice, and history confirms it, that the only time you see revival is when you're first seeing great amounts of prayer. And I'm not where I need to be. Pray for me that I'll pray more. Pray for me that God will stir on us. I don't know about you, but I want more of God. So that means God's got to have more of me. You know where that's going to start with? Praying. So I'm inviting us to stand this morning. What's the invitation? Well, certainly if you need to be saved, Jesus died for you. He shed blood for you. If you've never been forgiven of your sins, certainly you're not going to be able to pray. You need to pray the most important prayer. Lord, I'm a sinner. I confess. 
And Lord, I confess that I now believe that you died for my sins. And Lord, I'm asking you by prayer to be my Savior. If you need to do that today, do that. Come forward and we'll celebrate with you and we'll set you up for baptism. And guys, from there off, you enter into a life with Jesus. Now, in all honesty, how much did we pray this week? How much time have we spent with the Lord compared to all the things that is around us? And this morning, I'm just going to ask us, I believe if God's ever going to do anything supernatural, we're going to have to do something more than sit in the pew. So here's the altar. I'm going to ask you to come to the altar to seek God for his blessing, to seek God for the change. If you really care about America, quit complaining about the liberals. And start calling out to God. Let's all quit picking sides and get on the only side that matters, the right side of Calvary, under the blood and in the presence of Jesus. So I'm asking us as a church to let's pray together. Let's seek God together. Let's pray for our nation together, for our president, just like the Bible. Let's lift up holy hands, men, and let's show people we believe in our God. So I'm asking you, if God spoke to you, come, maybe you can't kneel, sit at the front, just show an effort that God... I'm coming to you because I need you. And let's seek his face while he may be found. Father in heaven, we just come before you now. There's one that needs to be saved. Lord, you're able to draw him. No one else could ever bring him to the place of Calvary but you. And Lord, for us, we need America, Lord, to come out of this darkness. So we need your light. Lord, help us to get out of the comfort of our pews. To be humble and broken enough to kneel at an altar and pray to the God of heaven, the answer of all our problems. Lord, only you can make a difference. So Lord, please move and start in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Caught up in your presence.